This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome back to Too Smart for This, a show for the smart and superficial girls everywhere. I'm your host, Alexis Barber, and today I'm so excited to be sitting down with Simone Alyssa. You may know her from her adorable, aesthetic, iconic TikTok videos, or you may know her from her incredible Instagram reels. But anyway, Simone Alyssa is a powerhouse, and today we talked about her experience in the corporate world, how she worked her way up, and how she has become a full-time digital creator, and what you can do if you want to get started doing that as well. Furthermore, we talked dating. She recently moved to Nashville and is exploring the dating scene there and drops some gems for advice for the ladies who are in the dating pool. So thank you so much, Simone, for coming on the show. I loved having you. And don't forget to follow Simone everywhere on social media. It'll all be linked down below. And don't forget to follow us at Two Collective on Instagram and leave a review down below for the chance to win a giveaway. We do a giveaway every single week. With all that being said, let's jump into this amazing conversation with Simone now. Hello and welcome to Too Smart for This. I can't wait to talk to you. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Of course. So to get started, so the audience can sort of get to know you a little bit, I love to do some rapid fire questions and then we'll get into the real tea. Okay, so what are your big three in astrology? Okay, I actually had to download the CoStar app for this because I did not know. Um, I am a Scorpio. <laughs> I, I do it. know that. Everybody kind of knows me for that. I'm a Libra and a Sagittarius, whatever the rising. I love doing people's charts, honestly. What is your hometown and where do you live now? So I spent most of my childhood in Santa Barbara, California, but my family is from Pittsburgh. So I ended up finishing high school in Pittsburgh. I've lived in nine different cities since that for work. So I'm kind of like an all over the place kind of person, but I definitely claim SoCal as home and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh people are very particular about Pittsburgh. So I rep the Berg. Okay. And then what's the worst advice that you've ever received? Mm, You can't always get what you want professionally. I think that's a lie. Something that makes you feel really smart. Really smart. Probably my professional experience. I've done a lot in a little amount of time and it wasn't due to a having a specific degree for it. So then what is something that makes you feel really superficial? My distaste for my short torso. So because I... I like, How do you not like your no, short torso? No, I had a short torso until I started videotaping myself all the time and looking at myself. And I was like, I just look like different, like miss 
proportion, disproportionate. And I just realized it's because I have the longest legs possible and a very short torso. So I have to kind of find people who have a similar body type before I buy things. That makes sense. I I, I grew up, I have the same thing where I have a short torso and long yeah. legs. And I loved that because I, and I didn't know about it until I went to boarding school with like all <laughs> Koreans and they were like, Alexis, like you have such long legs. Like they loved it so much because when I was 11, I didn't know yeah, what that meant. Either. So now I'm like, oh my God, love it. I'm so cool. I'm so interesting. And then finally, what is your most important self-care practice? Double washing, double cleansing the face and sunscreen. This is actually, I've never talked about it on uh, my socials, but this will definitely show my age today. So we'll get into it. <laughs> oh yeah. Because you could easily be like 21. Stop. We would not know. <laughs> I wish. You know? We've talked about your professional experience. I definitely want to get into that. But more recently, you moved to Nashville and you had your TikTok followers help you like choose where <laughs> yeah. to move. Can you talk me through that? What made the ta- that decision and where were you living before that you wanted to make a so move So I think as creators of color, we have a a harder time building our community as far as getting the following that we're seeing other creators who are not of color who are able to just get a very quick following. So mine was a very slow build. And because of that, I feel like there was a sense of really strong community that really just evolved over time. So I felt very connected to these people on TikTok that were seeing me go through a lot of changes in my life, which I know we'll get into as well that led me to this move. So I felt like, why wouldn't I include them? Like they are my mm-hmm. my family, my friends. It sounds strange to some people, but truly these people reach out to me and DM me every single day and I feel connected. I actually just had one of the first people who ever followed me <laughs> ever um, when I had like a thousand followers on Instagram. She was in town in Nashville this week for work, for a conference, and we got together and had the best time. <laughs> Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. I love that. Especially because you're in a new city, like meeting people, right. having fun. That social yeah. side is so important. Yeah. So, I mean, that's oh my why gosh. I feel like they were a part of it anyway. So why not include them? Absolutely. And so they chose Nashville. How are you liking it? Nashville was kind of last on my list of all the eight cities I'd lived in before that or nine cities. This was the last one that I really, truly wanted to live in. So I felt like it was just the time to check it off the box. So, What are the past eight cities? A couple are doubled up. Obviously, I lived in New York City right out of college. I've lived in LA twice, Chicago. I've lived in Cleveland, Pittsburgh, obviously, twice as well. I've lived in Boston. I've lived in Seattle, Salt Lake. I think that's it. Salt Lake is so beautiful. I mean, it was a strange kind of place to fall in love with, but it's very like peaceful to me in a lot of ways. And it's small, mm-hmm. and but it's stunning. So I love it there. Well, all I know about it is Real Housewives in Salt Lake City, but it looks <laughs> yeah. stunning on there. It's stunning. So I'm moving in two weeks, but I'm curious for you, like how have you maintained your sense of self? What are the routines that are crucial for you? I love a five-minute journal. It really brings me back every morning. I try to do it every morning. I've been slacking since getting here because your girl's been partying a little bit, which is unlike me. It's very unlike me, but we'll get into that too. I'm such a nerd that it's like crazy that I've been going out so much. 
But yeah, the five minute journal, because it really puts things into perspective. It helps you look at what went well the day before, and then also just give gratitude to the things in your life. And I think that just really centers me no matter where I'm at. For me, journaling is also super crucial. I've never used that particular yeah. one, but I think, but that one I think gives you a little more structure, yeah. right? Yeah, it just, and it's quick. Speaking of your moving around, you have a career that apparently allows you to do this. So let's talk about your professional experience and how you got to where you are now. So I used to build for the last 12 years, I built internal infrastructures for retail and beauty startups. Um, so what that looked like was wow. as working on the heavy ops side. So usually I was director of operation or chief of staff, and it was my job to keep everything flowing, running, and internal infrastructure in layman's terms is mostly just building the actual infrastructure of a company. So what it looks like from an ops standpoint, which is like SOPs, standard operating procedures, writing those, and making sure from an operational standpoint that the business is running successfully. Wow. Okay. How'd you get into that? It's kind of a crazy story. I was never, I say I'm a nerd, but I was never a book smart nerd. So I was never the girl that was like, had my head in the books. I was a worker bee. So I work, I started working for Abercrombie when I was 15. That was before it was like allowed, you had to be 16. So I started when I was 15. I worked there for seven years, all through high school, all through college. I started interning with them in college. Probably shouldn't say this, but I, I wasn't spending much time at school. I was just going, I went to WVU, shout out to my Mountaineers. <laughs> so I went from <laughs> WVU to Columbus, Ohio, which is where the corporate office of Abercrombie was almost every weekend. And I was just doing internships. I was modeling for them. I was doing whatever I could. And then the Mike Jeffries, who was the old CEO that we don't, we don't claim anymore, but um, he actually put me together with the vice president of health and safety. And she was the only black woman that was a part of their uh, leadership team at the time. And she became my mentor. So I started interning with her had a great experience with that. And I was just always working. So out of college, like I only went to college because I knew you had to have, and it's wild to think of this now, but you had to have a bachelor's degree to be a store manager of an Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. Crazy. And you only got paid 28 That's crazy. Yeah. No. That was my no. dream. Like I literally went to college to be a manager. I started there the day after I graduated college. I started as a manager. And then two girls came in and they had worked for, um, I don't know if you know, they're not in business anymore, but American Apparel. Yeah. Obviously, I know. I <laughs> okay. grew up on Tumblr. Uh, that was, okay. that was a yeah. moment. So yeah. I became a regional merchandiser for them and then became the director for them for um, district manager of Midwest. Wow. That is such an interesting yeah. story. And I think it draws a lot of importance to the work experience because now I think you, because you honed those skills really early on of building operations, of having the discipline of going to work. I think you can apply that to your life now. And a lot of people like uh, who listen to this show are interested on how to build like those dream careers. What to major in is a question I get a lot. But I don't find that my personal like degree, even though I went to like a great school, is was necessary in what I like work on now. The work experience and the internships were a lot more helpful. And so I feel like you, you probably agree with that. But what advice would you give to those people who are maybe younger or have just started their careers? Work hard. I mean, you might not be the smartest person in the room, but if you were the hardest worker in the room, it will always work out for you. 
I promise you that. I was always the hardest worker. I was never the smartest, but I was always the hardest worker. With that being said, I'd love to jump into your career now. So you're a content creator and you're, you have talked about being a strategist as well. Yeah, so I'm a full-time content creator for the most part. I did recently start managing a couple of POC creators because I do see a gap in the market for the just as far as rates and how how differently other creators are paid versus POC creators. And given that a lot of the creators now, that's the, always been their full-time job. They've never had any professional background. I think it takes someone who has had that professional background to at least help them through that to ensure that they are getting paid exactly what they should for their craft. So that's become really important to me. I don't know if I'll continue to do it just because I'm so type A and with creators, it's like sometimes we're on the same page, sometimes we are not. And that is fine. I, I love that. But yeah, so I, it's it's definitely something I fell into. I was never planning to be a full-time creator. It's, it's strange still, even that this is my life. Really? Well, then how did you fall into it? When did you start creating content? I don't know. It must have been, it was during 2020. I was working 19 hours a day in seven different time zones as chief of staff for an agency in LA. And I just needed an outlet. Maybe like we try to have Saturdays and Sundays off, but I remember only having like truly having Sundays off. And I started just putting up TikToks and they that was before anybody was really on it. So it was just everything was going, you know, semi-viral because there weren't that many people creating yet. And that's kind of how I fell into it. But I didn't go full-time until January of this year. What made you take that leap? Um, I was head of product for a beauty brand. And as much as I love that, and I love beauty and love being on the startup side, I just wasn't feeling as fulfilled as when I was creating, which is funny because I don't consider myself a, a creative person by trade. And mm -hmm. I was just getting to, I always said that if it got to the point where I was doing you know, so much random content that I didn't have time to do both jobs, I needed to make a decision and the decision kind of made itself for me. So wow. Okay, well, first of all, Thank congrats you. on having that because I think getting to that place is a dream for a lot of people. And now you sort of have that for yourself. So I would love to talk about how you organize that and sort of how you structure your day as an entrepreneur at this point. And I love that you're super organized. I am too, but I think you might have me beat. So I'd love to hear your strategies. And I want the tea. I would like the specifics, okay. the details. 100% honest with you, the first six months of being a creator, which is pretty much where I am right now, was a mess. I as somebody who's a very organized person, being somebody that worked so long and hard for 12 years, I was just so happy to not be it's crazy to have your own, you know, autonomy of your full schedule. And I didn't manage it well, to be honest with you, as someone who's a full time creator, I didn't, there would be weeks on end where I just sat on the couch, and I did nothing. And that's not okay. <laughs> All that being said, I'm just now figuring out. But one thing I never slept on was organization. I've always been organized. And that comes from I had a very, very difficult boss who was very particular in um, how we organize Google. So I work off of Google. So Google, everything, mm -hmm. sheets, everything. And the Google Drive is the heart of my business and will and always will be. And that came from mm -hmm. somebody who was very strict with me. And I would say all the time, like, oh my gosh, it's such a small thing, like down to each folder inside Google Drive. That is how I manage my entire life now. And I learned that 
through that person. So that's like my biggest thing is Google Drive. With that being said, I know you manage other creators and I guess you are kind of an expert in making sure that people are being paid correctly. And you alluded to how people of color on these apps, we grow so much slower. I mean, with the amount of time you and I have been on this app to both just now getting to like 100K is pure chaos, especially with like your content is incredible and it's aesthetic. So is yours. The type of thing that- We have the same content. I mean, we try. (laughs) And that's what I love about it, like, is that there's so much, that we can find people like us like across the internet. That's the beauty- the beauty of TikTok. But in terms of rates, people ask me this all the time. How do you price yourself? What should you do if you don't understand how to price yourself? And how do you get paid brand deals? I'll preface this by saying that if you guys don't know her, but Chelsea Olivia 13, who is an original IG content creator from the start, she recently told me something that blew my mind. And this is specific for creators of color. And what she said was, is that non-creators of color who have 500K is the same as our 100K, you know, because she started with all the original content creators. She was one of the first POC content creators I ever saw. And she's at, I think, around 200, over 200 on Instagram. But she started with people who are not creators of color who have now a million. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for, yes, we are growing slowly. But when you think of the grand scheme of things, that is really equates to about 500K for another creator. And all that, the reason I'm saying this is because then you need to price yourself as such as well, because there are less creators of color who are creating content like we're creating, who have the following we have. And that means that we should get paid to do so. And it's like communication like this, like between you and I, that's and between yeah. she and you, that's what's going to get us to that place. And I completely see that because we are a significantly less like part of the population, but like our impact on our communities is different than like a white influencer's 100%. impact on our community. I have people from all walks of life, all ages, all all different types of people. It's just but there's something to be said about building a community around POC creators. And I am so appreciative for everybody who follows multiple POC creators. I think as a creator, we've gotten good insights from you, but I'd also like to hear more about your experience as a human being and someone who's worked super hard, moved around all the time, but you've also talked about dating across your platforms and you've also alluded to experiencing heartbreak. And I'd love to just hear from you, like the experiences in your life that have sort of shaped you into who you are. A lot of those can be, you know, scary or sad ones, but even positive ones. Like how have you experienced and healed from heartbreak in your life? So the interesting thing about me is that I think my heartbreak is very different from a lot of other people and that I've ever come across in different walks of life. My heartbreak has actually come more internally in my family. So I do not have a relationship with anyone in my family besides my grandmother. And those who follow me on TikTok do know that she has been suffering from dementia for the last two years. So seeing her decline and her being like the last person on the planet that I truly have as far as a family member was so difficult to see and to go through. And I would say that was Mm -hmm. my biggest heartbreak is going through like family things and breaking generational curses and doing the work in therapy and spending 10 years in therapy to get here. But 
my heartbreak was never, I feel like if you can't get that connection with your own family, having heartbreak from a complete stranger is just not, it doesn't phase me. I'm also no stranger to dating. We all know that I'm dating, speed dating, as some people would say on yes. TikTok right now. Um, I've been proposed to three times. I've been engaged twice. I I can't even. Okay, I would I do want to touch yeah. on dating because a lot of girls are in that area and need advice. But I am similar to you in that I have very difficult family relationships and like a lot of that comes from being mixed and having white family that is just on a whole if literally a different planet. But I've always felt a lot of shame around that, around not ha- and a lot of like jealousy and like wishing that I had a family that cared about me or parents that could really be there for me. And like, and I think that contributes to my current like hyper ambition and hyper independence. So I'm curious for you, like, how have you, I mean, these 10 years of therapy obviously (laughs) helped, but like being able to, you know, fully embrace and love yourself without that family unit behind you, like how have you gotten there? And what are, I mean, what's the biggest like change you've had to make to be able to do that? So I have to say it's like looking in a mirror because you hit the nail on the head with just being hyper fixated on career and your success and looking externally in order to feel validation for yourself internally. And that's exactly what I did. I don't recommend it to anybody, but it worked for me. honestly, because if you can stand yeah, on your own same. two feet and look at you being bi-coastal, like period, like it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it, if you it. can stand on your own two feet, I feel like, why wouldn't you celebrate yourself? Why wouldn't you feel, you know, that you are deserving of everything that you're not getting? And I think it just helps to be hyper independent and to be able to pay for your own life and do what you want to do and not have to fall back on anyone. I think a lot of people fall back into that kind of toxic relationship with their family when they need their help um, in some way and truly being able to Mm -hmm. stand on my own two feet and say that I don't need anyone. It would be nice, of course, but I'm past that point. For me, it's it's irreversible, but it's, that's where I'm at. Like, as long as I can stand on my own two feet, I mean, it sucks in certain situations. I'm going to be real about it. I just lost pretty much all of my belongings in a move because I had to make a couple of decisions very quickly. And, and that's when you feel it the most is when you don't have family to call and be like, can you help me do this? Can you help me? But Mm -hmm. I mean, things can be replaced. And if I'm fortunate enough to be able to replace them, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff anymore. So absolutely. And so I think that also just plays. So you feel very like secure in who you are as a human. And I think that's really important. And that plays into dating. And so in these three engagements, how did you make the decision to end those? Because that is a hard decision or to say no or to just, you know, be secure on um, your own. I think the first one around... I was 22. I was very young. And I definitely wanted that family unit as so many of us that are having issues with family members want. And it just wasn't, I was too young. I was too young. We both knew that we were together four and a half years. It was a long time, but it just wasn't right. I think we both came to that conclusion. And it was just more so I was insecure that I wouldn't be able to stand on my own two feet. And letting go of that right. and seeing what I could accomplish from them, like, my life would be completely different now if I would have stayed in that relationship. And I'm just so grateful that I believed in myself enough that I wasn't sure, but I, but I thought that I could probably figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I did. The second one, it just wasn't right. I think 
when you get to a certain point, and as a woman, we don't talk about this enough, but when you get to a certain point in your career and maybe your partner isn't at that point yet, there's a difference of wanting to celebrate that person and hope that they get to where you are. But there's another part of that, that that person and realizing that that person might not get to where you are and they're just kind of along for the ride, you have to decipher between the two or Mm -hmm. it will eat you alive for the rest of your life. I think that so much, like in your 20s, like relationships become such a huge like thing that everyone is talking about and thinking about. And it's really hard, especially when you don't have a family unit, to figure out what works for you and what doesn't without like falling into that external validation or just wanting to like not be alone. And so I think you you're really exemplifying that like you chose yourself in those moments. Like you chose that you were like, I wasn't sure, but I thought I could maybe figure it out. Like that is enough to be able to like choose yourself. It's scary, but it's enough. Yeah, choosing yourself. You're stuck with yourself for the rest of your life. You come in alone, you leave alone. So you need to really just take the time to – nurture that relationship with yourself. And I will say that's the best relationship I've ever had is with myself. I want to also talk about that. In in practice then, how do you nurture your relationship with yourself? You've talked journaling, you've talked, you know, moving around a lot and putting yourself in new situations. Is there anything else you do to sort of build that relationship with yourself? I think that therapy is, is amazing. I think that you have to be in the right place at the right time to receive those gifts. You also have to find the right person. I did not know this as a young adult that it's kind of like dating, finding the right therapist for you. It's not always going to be on the first try. So mm-hmm. I've had some bad therapists, I'm not going to lie to you, that weren't helpful. But and I just stayed because yeah. I thought like you just go to whoever you find. And so definitely finding the right person for you, the right type of therapy for you. I have friends in group therapy that works for them. That doesn't particularly look work for me, but there's different types of therapy. So doing your research, doing the therapy, doing the inner work. And honestly, the most uncomfortable things is where you're going to find the most growth. So for me, the beginning of my 20s, the most uncomfortable part about it was being alone. And I had to get really comfortable Mm. in that loneliness because I felt like when I was alone, I had time to think. And when I had time to think, I was not having great thoughts. And that like ate me alive for a while. And now it's like, I can't imagine sharing my space with somebody else. Wow. So I think that's important, being alone, having that journaling, speaking with yourself, or whether it's journaling or not, as long as you are finding a way to process your own emotions like by yourself. I think that's – I mean, I think that's a big thing people can do. I see a lot of women who are really afraid of just like being alone, period, like need a roommate, need to be in a friend group, and will sort of sacrifice their own values in order to be in that group. So when it comes to female friendships for you, then have have how have you navigated that as someone who's been independent? I feel like we can also kind of talk about the fact that we were probably the only people of color in certain areas growing up and in times. And I grew Mm -hmm. up with in a predominantly white neighborhood with I was in a white sorority in college. 
And I had a lot of identity issues from that of, of not looking like everyone, not being able to blend in. It was always, oh, well, you're pretty for a black girl, like things like that, that like I look back now and I'm like, I can't believe I allowed people to speak to me that way. Like, it's crazy the things you will allow. Like, I think about it too. It's insane. Like insane. I, I would never allow somebody to speak to me like that now. And again, it's, it's maturity, it's growth, it's, it's going through those experiences and knowing how it made you feel. But you should never, no one should ever feel like like that, no matter if it's about being, I know we're talking a lot about POCs because that's what we are, but, you know, it can be in anything, body, body positivity, mm-hmm. any sort of thing that makes you feel like you're not good enough is not the space you should be in. So I will say that I did not have good relationships with women until, honestly, my 30s. Especially when you're in an, a mm-hmm. predominantly white environment, like, I felt as though because I didn't truly like know myself or my triggers and I was reaching for so much external validation when I was in Mm -hmm. those white environments, that sort of like also contributed to not having super meaningful relationships. Like there were some, but I was sort of trying to have the same friendships that my white counterparts who were all from the same background could have. And that wasn't really possible for me. And it was a lot of because of my family, but also because of my own identity issues. Definitely. Yeah, I went through the same thing. And and then it was always kind of like I was in a predominantly male-driven career, obviously. And professionally, when there's a couple mm-hmm. women in the group that get put in the mix, we're pinned against each other. So a lot of times in work situations, I oh, yeah. and that was the only way, you know, in my mid-20s to really meet other women because I was working so much we were fighting against each other. We weren't, we were competing for that one spot that the five men maybe on the board would give one woman. And so I didn't really find my way. I would say that that's been the best thing other than my community is the friendships I've made through being a creator. It's been amazing. I feel that. I feel like I've been super lucky to have that right now too because being able to be connected with people no matter where they are but because we have like that shared community is is so wonderful and um i mean in that corporate environment i can only imagine especially with that traditional gender roles playing into things it gets very stressful so curious for you then you've built your friendships now and now let's chat more about dating because I get so many questions about this but I can't answer because oh, I've never dated because I oh my been with my boyfriend forever because I'm, <laughs> I'm crazy like I had like yeah like I went to school didn't really have no no like not really like I have been with my boyfriend for oh my god five years now and so like cute. it's crazy like I love him like we are very compatible. I feel super lucky, 100%. He's great. But like, I have so many girls my age who are like, I'm in the city now. I've graduated college. Like, I want to start dating. But I'm curious for you. Obviously, you were in relationships throughout all this time and you've had your different engagements, etc. But and you were working all this time. So how did you make time for that? How did you prioritize? And what is your advice for girls who are dating in their 20s now? I think one of my most successful relationships, even though I was anxiously, I have an anxious attachment style, not anymore, but I did. Um, Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to be with my partner. But one of the most successful partnerships I had in my 20s he was just as busy as I was. So he was constantly on tour when I was working for a startup and working like 90 hours a week. 
So we were never really like in the same place, which sounds horrible. It's like, yeah, date somebody that you're never going to see. But it just like we both had goals, right? And we were working towards those goals, you know, in a singular kind of sense. But we would come back together. And I think we helped each other, pushed each other that way. Um, So I think it's really helpful to be around Mm like-minded people that have the similar goals as you. I think that that will become clear to you quickly in dating if you're out with somebody and they don't really know what their goals are. But again, it's asking those questions too. And I'm not saying like, like start interviewing the guy on the first five minutes of a date. <laughs> we'll say that I have become more fluid in my structure of dating because I'm so happy in my current career. And you obviously <laughs> document those dates. Yeah. I always ask for consent if they're going to be in it. I don't post any, like no face, no case. Like I always, you know, get get their permission and they know about it, but maybe not to the extent. I actually got like my spot blown up. This is going to sound so like gross, but I've only gotten recognized here. I feel like I only get, actually, I've gotten noticed in New York and LA but it's weird because like it's location. Yeah, I think so they pushed to like, your location. It, yeah, I had like a couple yeah. issues of security with my building when I first moved here. So it's like a whole thing. And like everybody, nobody means any harm. And I do believe that. But you can never be too careful as a single woman, as a person of color, all of those things, right? So like I appreciate it. But like somebody came up and was like, oh, is this one of the dates? Is this contestant number? Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, and he was sitting there. And we had just had a very like honest and and private conversation about the fact that he's a part of special forces and he has a very private life. No, oh my god, so that is so yeah. stressful. So like, the, I think the Wait. dating vlogs are gonna slow down soon. But you feel like in dating in Nashville, how does it compare to dating in other cities? Okay, so the thing I did not think about before I moved to Nashville, and you would think I, I would think about this, is that it's very conservative. Also, I think an energy thing, like I, I attract good energy most of the time, even with um, people in my community. That's why I'm saying it's never been an, a security issue. They're just excited and they just like want to come, come hang out. I get that. Yeah. So I've never had an issue of like it really being an issue, but I'm also somebody who always speaks up. So if we need to make it an issue, I will make it an issue. It wasn't always like this. And and I think I tried to be fairly unproblematic as a creator. I'm not going to rock the boat or, but I will speak up for Mm -hmm. things that are important to me. Obviously, I've been talking a lot about Roe versus Wade and everything that's going on because that's something I feel strongly about. But I'm not mm-hmm. going to rock the boat just just for views. Yeah. And I think people mm-hmm. kind of leave me alone because I'm a huge nerd and I always have been. I'm not trying to be something I'm not on there. So people are really nice. Like I've never had any issues of people being unkind mm-hmm. and I'm really appreciative of that. Yeah. That is amazing. And that's what we love to see. So yeah. you, met, you said you attract good energy. I loved your video about using oh, yeah. Pinterest for manifestation. How long have you loved or used manifestation as a practice? And like, is and pl- for anyone who doesn't, who hasn't seen it, could you explain like your Pinterest manifestation hack? On Pinterest in 2017, I would create a board at the beginning of the year of a vision board of everything that I wanted. And that would kind of be my board until the end of the year. And then I would go back. I would view it obviously during the course of the year. And I would add to it, but I would stop adding six months into the year because I felt like you shouldn't be 
adding more things, Mm. like just focus on whatever you're trying to get done. And those can be, and it can be anything. It doesn't have to be. I feel like a lot of people think that because it's a visual standpoint of manifestation, it all needs to be very much driven by certain types of things like cars and things like that. It does not have to be anything like that. It can be quotes. It can be about confidence. It can be about all of these things. I put cities on there that I wanted to move to that ultimately, obviously I did. And I did have cars on there. I did have bags on there. I'm not saying I'm not superficial, but I had a lot of a mixture of things. If I look back, honestly, everything on every single one of my boards has come to fruition. I think that's the beauty of being able to just see what you want and know what you want and go after it. I think Mm -hmm. manifestation is is about positivity, believing in yourself and having the confidence to go out and do what you want and also being a hard worker. I think a lot of people don't talk a lot about the fact that you can't just throw something up on a board and then just hope it happens. Like you have to go through the motions of doing the actions as well in order to get yourself there. Absolutely. And that's where you're incredible. Like organization and hard work comes into play. So, okay, okay, we are nearing the end now, and I feel like we've gone through so much incredible advice for the people who are out here just living, the girls who are dating, the girls who are hard workers. And so I like to end my podcasts with the same question I ask everyone, which is finish this sentence with something that you want other people, and namely like young people, to know. You are too smart for... To not believe in yourself. And you've done an incredible job of showing us that that is possible. And you have such a great community, such a great life and career to that you're living now. And so I hope this is an inspiration to everyone out there who is, you know, needs to believe in themselves a little bit more. So if you have any parting words or where can everyone find you? Um, where you can find me at I'm Simone Alyssa on Instagram, which I took two months off, but I'm coming back to Instagram. And I'm Simone Alyssa um, on TikTok. Fabulous. And that will all be linked below. And you can go find her, check out this content. It is beautifully shot, incredibly edited. We love to see it. So thank you so much for thank coming you. on. Thank you. And guys. have a good one. Ooh.